0: We're part way through a series, life hacks, looking at the way the uh, the message of Easter engages with our reality today, and is there a way in which we can understand a way to live today uh, in a way which is shaped by the light of this story, uh, which I think is continually the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is continually there to speak to us, to engage with us, not to tell us stories from the past alone, although it does that, but to engage with us with truths from God which become relevant for today. So here's my title for today, Identity. Who is the real me? It's a great question. So I decided in preparation, I was thinking where can I go to try to really deeply and richly engage with that question so I opened a packet of love hearts and there I think it was the third one in two words which absolutely capture it find me I Thought, wow that that's it that's what so many of us are looking for We're wanting to either be found or find ourselves. Who who is the me that gets discovered? Who is the me that I am then confidently able to portray to other people? This idea of understanding my true identity, discovery, the real me, the being authentic, It is a massive intellectual challenge which is argued about in the academic ivory towers and it is fought over relentlessly online. What is the me that is being portrayed? You know, I think that question, in the light of the identity that we speak about with Peter, is probably one of the most important things that we can engage with in our generation. Because we are desperately, desperately trying to understand ourselves. There is a whole load of really cheap shots that I could make against all sorts of our activities, but I thought I'd not do that. I'd once again go to lifehacks.org, which was obviously written for this sermon series. It says there on there, lifehacks.org, it quotes philosophy today and it says this, the unique nature of each individual is best seen in not who he is, but in who he becomes. It's interesting, isn't it? And becoming authentic is a continuous process, not an event. That feels really hopeful. It feels like I've got some way to go with this I've got some direction but it leaves me with that constant burden which is that I am to create my identity so let's have a look shall we at what our journey through the Easter story is able to tell us if you were able to be here last week well past couple of weeks actually we've we were looking at the character Judas I think many of us would know, most of us would understand the story of Judas. If you're not not aware of the Bible story, it goes really simply like this. Jesus had twelve followers, really close followers. They were the disciples. The twelve disciples engaged with Jesus for three years in his ministry. One of those disciples, Judas, betrayed Jesus... Uh, and sold Jesus for silver. Now what we saw last week was the reality was that the identity that Judas had portrayed right the way through the journey of those three years was never his true identity. He had, if you like, a veneer of acceptability up in front of him which made him look like a follower of Jesus and all the time he was a thief. Now we come to Peter, and the interesting thing with Peter and, and the way that I think Peter and Judas are fascinating to look at side by side is rooted in this, that when it comes to the crunch, they both end up in the same place. They both end up rejecting Jesus. They, they both appear at, the, at a critical moment as though their identity has changed been false all along now that is really important isn't it we've got this story of Jesus this person who we've just read about who who is taken uh, he's arrested he's taken in front of the religious leaders uh, and he is being beaten he's being challenged there are questions that are being forced on him and alongside he's there because Judas has sold him out and alongside this, we've got the story of Peter, who we see right at the point where Jesus is arrested, he follows Jesus. Now, I think that's interesting. He, he doesn't go close. It's not like he's shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, but he's, he's kind of skulking in the background. He's, he's watching to see what happens. And in the, in the light of extreme challenge and questioning to Jesus, Peter is knocked over by some questions from a few servant girls. I think that is the way Matthew is trying to convey this story to us. He's wanting to portray, on the one hand, we've got Jesus who is suffering the most challenging and extreme of situations, and in almost a juxtaposed position, a kind of an, another extreme, we've got Peter away from the situation, not threatened, other than by two servant girls. And he caves. What do we do with that? Is it possible that we might be able to understand something of our identity from the identity that seems to be falling apart for Peter? I think we first need to understand a little bit of the, the, the journey that got Peter to here. I think Peter is he's a fascinating character. Right, Every one of the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all kind of portray Peter in the same way. I think if Peter was in our generation today, Peter would be the insta-king of Christchurch. I really think he would. Not in a negative way. I'm not meaning that in a disparaging negative way. I think Peter is the kind of guy who just would wear his heart on his sleeve and wear his heart in his Instagram posts. You know, he would be out there every opportunity. He would be telling the world, what he believed, he would have no qualms, no fears, he'd just be out there. That's the character of Peter. Some of you might be able to relate to that. I stand in awe of people like that, who can be just that kind of confident and that out there. I I think sometimes it can be a bit dangerous as well, but that's the character of Peter. We see a minute where Jesus, Jesus has stepped away from the disciples for a while, and he says he's going to go and meet them later on. And so they travel away in a boat, and there's this horrific storm, and Jesus comes to them on the water, and Jesus said to them at that moment, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. What happens at that moment? Peter is the one who says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. That's Peter's response. I think today, Peter would be kind of, tell me come to come to you on the water, just a sec. Not, not in a kind of, look what I'm doing, but look what, what's happening here. Jesus is here, I'm walking to him on the water, kind of getting both in focus. Boom, it's going to be out there. And he'd need a waterproof phone, because he's sunk. But that's the character of Peter. That's how he's portrayed. He is portrayed as the vocal, committed, loyal, devoted. A bit later on in the account of Matthew, Peter uses some of the most incredible words in the journey of the recognition of Jesus. People are saying all sorts of things about this character Jesus. You I don't know what your background is with the story of Jesus, but let me explain a little bit of what we see in what are historical accounts. The accounts of the Gospels are historical accounts that that unfortunately, because they sit within the Bible, they tend to be considered as some holy book as opposed to documents which we would seriously investigate in the historical life of an individual. That's just the way it is. But they're gathered together and they are described as historical events. And we see Jesus is creating this storm of conversation and disagreement. People who are embracing Him, people who are hating Him. You cannot say that Jesus was a a nobody. He was creating a storm. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asks. And people say say different things about Jesus. One says, you're Elijah, the prophet, come back. And then Jesus turns around to his disciples and he says, do you know what? And I think this is absolutely critical for you and me today. It doesn't matter what other people say about Jesus. Who do you say that I am? That's that's a key thing, isn't it? There is a whole load of evidence about the life of Jesus. I'm more than happy to talk about it with folks, but the critical question remains: not what do other people say about me? Who do you say I am? Here's how Peter responds. Simon Peter answered, "You are the Messiah." the Son of the living God. That was a huge statement, wasn't it? It's one of those kind of turning point moments in the story of Jesus, actually. It's a point where the the disciples of Jesus truly speak with recognition of who Jesus is. I want to encourage all of us to be confronted with that question. Who do you say I am? That that question shouts out across two millennia. (laughs) And it's, it's pertinent for all of us to respond to that question. Who do you say that I am? And what Peter has done very clearly is he has attached his identity to Jesus. He said, who you are is critical in my identity. And I'm going to make sure that my life is lived out in the light of you so that's the kind of person that we've got we've got people who are committed we've got a person who is committed to the statement of the belief in Jesus as the son of God and then we've got somebody who is absolutely committed to living it out life living it out big in front of everybody that he sees So let's now come to where we get to in this story and look at the reality. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 69. Let's have a look at what we see. There's the background. Now let's have a look at the three moments, critical moments, verse 69-70. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. I I find it just amazing that Matthew decides to, on the one hand, help us to realize that Jesus is being asked questions, and then he is being spat at, slapped, and pummeled with fists. And Peter is asked by a servant girl, Who do you say that I am? Sorry, Peter is asked by a servant girl, Don't you know this Jesus? Then he went out to the gateway. I find that fascinating. He kind of it's like he drifts away from the scene, doesn't he? It's a little bit further. Let's get let's get out of this really uncomfortable situation with this servant girl. Goes out to the gateway. Where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Peter is making it absolutely, do you know, I'm going to use language that distinguishes me as the kind of person that couldn't possibly be a follower of Jesus. So he uses oaths which the religious people of the day would understand he couldn't possibly use if he was with that Jesus. I don't think at this stage, I think the language at this stage is talking about oaths before God which is a statement of truth when he uses this word oath. Later on he curses. Verse 73 after a little while those standing there went up to Peter and said surely you are one of them your accent gives them away gives you away here's Peter now it's kind of like the net is closing he, they think they've seen Peter with this Jesus which is not surprising because Peter has been the one who's been the outspoken one all along And now they're pointing the finger at Peter and saying, you are the one, and it's even clearer because your accent gives it away. You're one of those Galileans. You're from up north. We're down south. Sorry, you're from up north. That's right, up north. We're the down southers in Jerusalem. And we can tell your accent that you're with this Jesus. What are you doing here As Galilean, if it wasn't for the fact that you were with this Jesus, that's the kind of accusation. And Peter's response is to call down curses, and he swore to them, "I don't know the man." And immediately, a rooster crowed. That's that's the event. Luke tells us another little bit about this account. Luke chapter 22 and verse 60, it says this. Luke puts it like this. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Do you get, every time I read that verse, I get a little bit of a kind of a tingle. Because it's one of those stomach-churning moments, isn't it? Luke writes it in that way so that we would understand precisely what is going on. Jesus is being beaten. And at the moment where Peter denies Him for the third time, He has the presence and the moment to seek out and to search Peter and to catch him eyeball to eyeball. And when that happens, I want to ask the question, what kind of a look is that? I think that's just the critical question, isn't it? What kind of a look is that? Is it a withering? You've done it. I knew you wouldn't stick with me. Is it like that? Because, because in reality, understanding a little bit of that is at the heart of understanding Jesus kind of a look is Jesus giving Peter at this moment in time? And what is that look based on? Well, it's based on a prophecy. Hours earlier. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 34. Jesus speaks to Peter. Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows you will disown me three times you see that that is just absolutely clear before the rooster crows three times what does that say it's the night before 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 the morning break you'll have denied me three times Peter is incensed he's outraged don't you know, I was the one who jumped out of the boat. I know that I sunk, but I was learning more about you. I was the one who understood who you were first. I am the one who is out there all the time. I am the one who is not fearful. I will stand by you, he says. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the, all the other disciples said the same. It's like Peter is the vocal one, and everybody goes, I'm with you, Peter. Peter it's kind of like I'll go there as long as Peter goes there because I'm confident in Peter because he's the one who's strong and if we stick with Jesus and Peter sticks with Jesus we'll be all right we'll get through this even if I die I will never disown you hours before what's Peter's identity Who is the real, authentic Peter? That is a key question. And we need to ask that question because if we can get an answer, we can understand a little bit about who we are. We can kind of sit ourselves side by side with Peter and say, okay, if that's how you are, how about me? How do I work out in this? How does it end? When we were looking at Judas last week, we looked at the backstory and we saw that he was a thief, and we saw that when he sold Jesus, the outcome was absolutely tragic. Judas became a grief-stricken, guilt-ridden suicide case. The Bible doesn't pull back from realities. That's where Judas ended up. It is a tragic story. What about Peter? Where does it end for Peter? The outcome is rooted previously in the story. It's back earlier the outcome is guaranteed. Because Luke tells us a little bit more of the story. Luke chapter 22 it says this. Simon, Simon, because he's named Simon Peter, which is why it's Simon and Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's what Jesus said to Peter back there. So at the point where Peter is saying I'll never deny you Jesus has already said Satan wants to sift all of you. The picture is something we don't get it now but in an agricultural situation like, like Palestine in that day you would you would sow your your wheat and then you'd, you'd gather it up uh, and then you would throw once you've kind of brought in the wheat, you'd take it to the threshing floor, you'd bash it down, and then you'd throw it up in the air, and the winds that would be blowing would blow away all of the light stuff, and the heavy wheat would fall to the ground, and it would be done with a sieve as well, and it's kind of like, throw it up there, and let the heavy, real stuff fall down, and get rid of all of what they call the chaff, the stuff that can just be blown away. And, and Jesus is saying, Satan is going to be given the opportunity to work out which of you disciples is a true follower. And you are all at risk. <laughs> but do you know what, Peter? I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Later on in the Gospel of John, We see the outcome when Jesus is risen. They're finishing eating. On the shore of the lake and on three occasions, Jesus turns to Peter and He says, Do you love me? Do you know, I just find that absolutely remarkable. That just this whole story is utterly remarkable. Why? Because Jesus could never go to the cross with any help. All of the disciples had to abandon Him. He had to do it alone. And then at the point where one of them says, I'm going to be with you right to death, he says, I'm not going to allow you to do that. (laughs) Do you know when Jesus turned around and he looked at Peter and Peter is filled with remorse, he goes out and he weeps. I think Jesus was saying in that look, do you see how it was truly going to end up the way that I said? but still look at me. Don't you let go of me. I think in that moment, Peter began to understand something fundamental about our identity. And it is this. True, and let me just, I want to say this a couple of times, because if you lose everything from today, true identity, according to the Bible, is not created by you and me within us. It is created outside of us by Jesus. True identity in Jesus is not created by us. It's created by Him. If you forget everything else, hold on to that. Because that is a key for a whole load of life. A whole load of life. What is the identity of Peter? How often we find ourselves in the position that Peter is in. I believe that I am this, (laughs) I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just observing people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And you're looking on and thinking, they're a mess up, actually. If being a follower of Jesus is still being messed up, then I'm really not sure. I want it, to be honest. Or they seem like they go through all the same kind of stuff that I go through. Or they've got all the challenges that I've got. Or they fall foul of all of the temptations that I've got. All of those things that they should be different on, and they're not. You might be looking at maybe your friend and thinking, this Christian stuff, what's it all about? I look at Peter and I think, if you can walk alongside Jesus for three years, and when it comes to the crunch, you blow it, then I've got hope. I've got hope. Because if you can mess up that badly, when you are that kind of senior kind of role in the disciples, bunch of disciples, if you can mess up like that if I've got the kind of true faith that you had we can mess up and still be okay that is great news he appears to fall in exactly the same way as Judas falls Jesus falls because he had his eye on the money all the time Peter falls because he has his eye on personal security above love of Jesus Jesus is getting slapped and punched and beaten and I can see that it's going to end up really badly for him and I don't want anybody to give me a slap. That's it. So I'm bailing. And then Jesus looks at him and I think at the point where Jesus looks at him, Peter kind of knew, how can you still love me? You know, when you, when you understand the love of Jesus, that He is willing to go to that place for you and for me, and then we look into the face of somebody who is suffering for us, we realize that the look is not one of condemnation. It's a look which says, do you now realize that you desperately need me? see, the single factor that makes the difference for Peter is the prayer of Jesus. (laughs) I thought our introduction to our prayer time earlier was great. It is so significant an event when we pray to the living God, and yet it seems the weakest thing that we could possibly do. But what when Jesus prays for you? (laughs) what when jesus prays for me that's something else isn't it i can't change things i don't know the mind of god i don't know the outcome of the things that i pray for as to whether they are the best things to pray for or the worst things to pray for but i trust god but when the son of jesus son of god jesus himself prays for peter that is a different thing he's secure So what can we learn? I think there are, just as we close, there are things that we can learn as believers. If we believe in this Jesus, I think we can realize that we have a tendency to strive for our identity. To strive for our identity. When the reality is that it is Jesus who is creating the identity in us And we don't give him the opportunity well to do it. (laughs) Paul puts it like this in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He says this. I'm confident of this. I am confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Right back there, philosophy today said something like. It is a continuous process. Being authentic is a continuous process. It's not a single event. True Christian identity is not a single event, although it rests on a single event. It's not a single event. It is a continuous process. What He's begun in you, He'll complete in you. So my identity my identity it's not what i manage to conjure up it's what jesus works in me so how do i respond to that i respond to that by saying if that is true if that is true identity what i need more than anything else is to engage in the means and the ways to reveal and to understand my true identity more than anything else. So many of us are grappling and grasping and desperate to understand and to create our identity. We might do it with our jobs, our careers, our relationships, our statuses, everything that we desperately are looking to create. This image of ourselves, we are all looking to live the best life. Be the best me. And the reality is Jesus says if you are trying to uh, complete it outside of me you are going to be so dissatisfied. You will never do it successfully. You will never truly be happy because you are made to be created by me. that That is staggering. That is why I think engaging in just basic Christian life stuff is critical for our identity. To do what we're doing now. To engage in a personal relationship with Jesus day by day. To try to put away the things that are going to distract us day by day. Because that's going to form our identity now and in relation to failure peter is our greatest hope he blew it big time and jesus used three occasion one occasion for him to reiterate three times his love for him when he denied him three times jesus didn't ask once he asked three times and the answer is the same every time it does not take a brain surgeon to work out what Jesus is doing, is it? He's giving the opportunity for Peter to rip, to write what he knows went wrong. Isn't that a beautiful thing that Jesus, He didn't need Him to say it three times. He gave Him the opportunity to say it three times. Because that's the kind of Jesus we have. If you're observing this Christian faith this afternoon, let me just close by saying this. We are all desperately looking for who we truly are. We are. We do it in all sorts of ways. You might have got it sorted, but I'm pretty sure that there are moments when you're not sure. Moments when you are unstable. Moments when you are feeling uncomfortable. And what the message of the Bible is very clear about is that our relationship and our status and our identity is rooted not in us, it's outside of us. We find our completeness in relationship with the God who made us. And so I want to encourage you to understand that relationship with Jesus is the means to true, lasting, satisfying self-identity. I'm not promising that it all becomes lovely and beautiful and kind of cutesy and float on a cloud and everything's great. I am promising that that kind of relationship creates a foundation which is deeper than the worst things that you face. Why? Because... It is an eternal relationship. So, our hope is not find me, according to my love heart. Our hope is this He has found me. Let's sing.